Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Harvest Kids, you can head into the fellowship hall for uh, your Harvest Kids class. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's awesome having you guys in here hanging out with us uh, during worship time. Uh, but hey, for the rest of you guys, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, my name is Andrew Watkins. I have the privilege of serving here at Harvest as an associate pastor. And whether you're joining us in person this morning or you're tuning in online, we're so, so thankful and privileged to have you joining us. And, and like, uh, like Dan said earlier during the announcements, we, we want to connect with you after the service. We'll be out here uh, as you head out those doors uh, to your cars. We'll, we'll catch you then. We'll connect. And we would love just to get to know you and, and how we can best serve you and pray for you. But hey, let's go ahead and get into God's Word together this morning. So if you would, uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles or your phones or whatever it is that you like to use to get your eyes on God's Word. And would you meet me this morning in Genesis chapter 27? Uh, We are continuing our Step Out in Faith series where we're going through Hebrews 11 and and, and examining the lives of the people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. But but the person that we're looking at his life this morning is only mentioned in one verse, in one sentence of one verse in Hebrews 11. So I'll read that that verse for us in a minute. But we're going to focus most of our time uh, in Genesis chapter 27 into the beginning of 28 for some context and really to to use those passages as a window into his life to see how and why he ended up in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, So go ahead and again, turn to Genesis 27 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I would really encourage you and invite you to uh, still find a way to follow along with us. There's a couple ways that you could do that. Uh, you could just pull out a phone and Google uh, Genesis 27 ESV, and it'll pop up for you. Or if you would prefer a paper Bible, we've got some in the back on the table back there in that corner. Uh, and if you don't have one at all, we would love for you to just uh, take that and keep it as our gift to you. Uh, but Genesis 27 this morning, our title is Faith Despite My Failures. Uh, and we're looking at the life of a man named Isaac. And, and just so we hear what I, uh, Hebrews 11 says about him, here's what Hebrews 11 verse 20 says about Isaac. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. So we'll get context on that in Genesis chapter 27, but let's stop and pray for our time together in God's word this morning. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We do praise your name above all other names. Help us to do that now, even as we look into your word, Father, would you help us to see you as as worthy above all, worthy of all of our praise, worthy of all of our hope and our faith and our trust and stepping out in faith. Father, we believe that every single word of, of scripture is inerrant and inspired by your Holy Spirit and it's profitable for our doctrine and for our reproof and for our training in righteousness. So uh, it's our, uh, our heart's desire, our, our plea to you this morning that you would be present and working among us to, to challenge us, to convict us where we need to be convicted, to uh, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, but ultimately to make us look more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, there is no more personal pain than family pain. There's no more difficult dysfunction than family dysfunction. There's no more fearful feeling than the feeling that your, your family is falling apart before your eyes and your kids are running from everything uh, that is right and maybe even your spouse is working against you. You will never feel more helpless and more hopeless than when your home hurts. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We know that. It's not the way it's supposed to be, but it's often the way things are in this broken world. And many of you understand that in a deeply personal way. Maybe in your own family, you've experienced the kind of wounds that don't seem to heal or the the worries that fight off sleep at night. 
Those wounds, though they, they seem fine for the moment, you know it's only a matter of time before you go to the next family gathering and, and the band-aid gets ripped off, the scab gets ripped off, and, and salt gets poured in those old wounds. And, and the, the worries, like maybe the best you know how to do is to cover those worries with a smile and to avoid them through casual conversation, but the reality is in the back of your mind, those, those, those worries are still there, they're still real, they're still raging regardless. Maybe like the family that we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 27 this morning, you know exactly what it's like to have a sibling that you can't trust, that's constantly scheming and scamming against you. Maybe you feel like you're the only person in your family that sees them for who they really are. Or you know what it's like to have parents whose expectations you could never meet, no matter what you do or how hard you try. Maybe you know what that's like. Or maybe you know what it's like to have a spouse who's so checked out spiritually that the thought of them leading and loving like they're called to do in scripture is just laughable to you. you. Maybe you know what it's like to have someone in your family that's so manipulative that you know there's always something, there's always another motive beneath the surface. Maybe if you were to pull out a piece of paper this morning and, and write down everything that scripture has to say about what it means to be a godly husband or wife or parent or, or child, and then, and then compare that list that you made to what, how you view your family, maybe you'd, you'd compare the two and then be tempted to just pull out a, a big giant red sharpie and write failure across the page. One of the things that I love the most about God's word is that it does not hide the warts of God's people. It doesn't sweep failure under the rug. In fact, it, it exposes it because the clearer that we see our sin, the clearer we can see God's grace. Our passage this morning is a perfect example of that. Our passage this morning, we find a family that is fractured seemingly beyond all repair. Like all in just one chapter, all in Isaac's immediate family alone, in Isaac, his wife, and his two sons, we're going to see division, deception, disappointment, devastation, favoritism, scheming, literally threats of violent revenge, sin, brokenness. And if you were just reading Genesis chapter 27 alone, maybe you'd be tempted to, to pull out a big red sharpie and then write failure across the page, just like you might've been tempted to before. And yet, the failure that we see does not forfeit God's faithfulness. It will not bring God's plans to a grinding halt. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our big idea, our, our one sentence overarching theme of the passage that'll tie it all together for us. Our, our big idea this morning is this, God is faithful to accomplish his purposes even despite our failures. That God is faithful to accomplish his purposes even despite our failures. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Aren't you thankful that you can't get in God's way? Are you thankful that as Isaiah 46 says, uh, God says, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. In other words, God is faithful to accomplish his purposes even despite our failures. See, the message this morning is not a how-to message. Let's be really clear about that up front. It's not a, it's not a how-to message. It's a, it's a hope-in message. Like there's not a whole lot in Isaac's life this morning that we're gonna look at in, in Genesis 27 that you should write down and be like, yeah, that's really good. I'm gonna try that this week. Like, no, no, don't do that. What we, he, what we see here is, is descriptive, not prescriptive just tells us what happened and not what we ought to do. 
but by the time that we're done looking and journeying through all the brokenness and failure that we're going to see in this passage, and by the time we've made it to Hebrews 11 at the end, I'm, I'm confident that we will have clearly seen the God who is worth all of our hope and all of our faith, no matter how broken or failed or messed up your current situation might seem. So Genesis 27, we're going to look at two lessons from the life of Isaac this morning, and here's the first. The first lesson from Isaac's life is to run from faithless philosophies for life. To run from faith, faithless philosophies for life. Before, before we jump in here, we're going to get a little bit of context so we understand where we are. So last week, as, as Dan was preaching, we looked at the, the, the faith of Abraham to uh, submit everything, literally everything to God and be willing to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. Isaac, that, that son that God had promised Abraham and Sarah and, and said that the covenant would be extended to and established with him, that son, God said, Abraham, go, go sacrifice him. Just, just go do it. And Abraham was willing. And when God saw Abraham's willingness and his full surrender, his obedience, uh, he provided a substitute in Isaac's place. Love that. We know where that points. It points to Christ, the substitute for us. But now it's five chapters later in Genesis 27, and the young Isaac, who had allowed himself to willingly be laid on an altar before, isn't so young anymore. Abraham's died, and the, the blessing, the promise, the covenant that has been passed on to Isaac, just like God said it would be. Now, Isaac's married. He's got twin sons of his own who are now adults themselves. And, and as Isaac's getting older, it's time to pass on the, the blessing to the next generation. The, this blessing that was his and his father's before him. The, the promise that God would make them into a great nation and give them a great land and that kings would come from their line. And of course, we know that includes the Messiah. But what had started out so great is no longer going so well. We could say at the beginning of Isaac's life, his, his spiritual trajectory showed lots of promise. Again, he willingly laid himself on an altar before God to be killed when like for sure he could have fought back and, and run away and, and beat his father. For sure he could have, but he didn't. And he trusted God to provide a wife for him and God did provide that wife in, in Rebecca and, and Isaac loved Rebecca. Like together, again, their, their spiritual trajectory showed so much promise, but somewhere along the way, somewhere between that and Genesis 27, that spiritual trajectory for some reason seems to have flatlined because by the time we get to Genesis 27, things are messed up. Instead of being faithful, not only Isaac, but his entire immediate family is living by faithless philosophies. Like as I look at Genesis 27, I think each one of them is living by their own faithless mottos for life. They're, they're doing things their way instead of God's way. And I think it goes without saying, like we should run from that plan. We should be living on, on God's plan, not ours. And so just so we're clear what we should be running from, let's, let's take a walk through Genesis 27 and look at these faithless philosophies for life. So here's Isaac's faithless philosophy. Uh, Isaac could say, if it feels right, it is right. If it feels right, it is right. So let's look at, at, uh, at uh, Genesis 27 verses 1 through 4. If you have your Bibles open, look there with me. Here's what it says. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I might eat, that my soul may, be, may bless you before you, I die." So like I said, it's, it's time to pass on the blessing, and, and Isaac knows that it's his responsibility, so I, I guess we'll at least give him credit for the fact that he, he's aware of that, but, but right from the start, he goes on doing this in the entirely wrong way. 
He's living on a whim and he's driven by his desires. And by this point in his life, unfortunately, being driven by your desires has become quite the pattern for him. Because as, as Isaac would say, if it feels right, it is right. Exhibit A, chapter before this, there was a terrible famine in the land. The Lord literally appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt, just, just sojourn here, just wander here, just don't get settled and I will bless you. And then he goes on to, to reiterate that, that promise, the covenant, the blessing to, to Isaac there. But again, just sojourn here, just wander. Don't get settled. In other words, use the camper, don't call the realtor. But then right away, chapter 26, verse six says, so Isaac settled in Gerar. And the implication in Hebrew there is that he put down roots. So again, instead of sojourning, he, he settled. Why? It was easy. It felt right, so he, it is right, of course. I mean, and do you know how hard it is to move? Like, nobody likes packing up boxes. Nobody wants to go through that over and over again. So, so instead of stepping out in faith and obeying what God said, he did what felt right to him at the time. Exhibit B. He settled there in Gerar, and because Rebekah was a beautiful woman, he was worried that the men in Gerar would, would kill him and take her. And so in his, if it feels right, it is right mode of self-preservation, uh, he told these men that Rebekah was his sister. Just as a side note, um, men, uh, zero out of 10, do not recommend that plan. Like if you move somewhere and you're worried that, that these men are going to kill you and take your wife and your plan to, to prevent that is to tell them she's your sister. Like if they don't kill you, your wife will. Um, that's just a side note. You can take that. That's free. But again, instead of stepping out in faith and trusting God, he did what felt right to him at the time. Because if it feels right, it is right. So exhibit C, now into chapter 27, it's time to pass on the blessing. And, and what's on Isaac's mind? Two things, food and favoritism. So before we go any further, we need to be really clear about one thing. God has already specifically said which of these sons would be the heir to the blessing, and it wasn't the conventional answer. Back in chapter 25, when Rebecca was, was pregnant with these twin boys, God gave her one very vital piece of information. God, God literally said to her, the older, that's Esau, shall serve the younger, that's Jacob. Beyond that, Esau didn't really care all that much about the blessing anyway most of the time because later on in chapter 25, when, when they were a little older, Esau was hungry one day and, and he sold his birthright as the older son, which, which Hebrews chapter 12 actually pretty much overlaps with, with the blessing here. And he sells it to Jacob for a bowl of soup. So God had been clear and Esau had been passive at best when it came to the blessing. And for sure, Isaac would have known about all that, but Esau was his favorite, right? Like it was easy, it felt right. And Genesis 25 tells us that Esau was a man's man while Jacob was an avid indoorsman. Esau wore camo and carried a chainsaw. Jacob wore khakis and carried a calculator. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Because of that though, Esau was his father's pride and joy and Jacob was his mother's son. Genesis 25, 28 says, Esau loved, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And by, by saying love there, it doesn't mean like, hey, this one parent got along better with the, other, with the other child. No, it means like for that parent, that child was it to them. Like this was their child. This was all of their hope and their pride and joy. But it was food and favoritism that was driving Isaac when it came time for the blessing. He almost certainly would have known what God had said, and he knew what had already happened with the birthright, but he wanted what he wanted. 
Esau was his favorite. It, was, it felt right to give him the blessing. So he, so he calls him in and he says, Esau, listen, like, shut the door behind you. Like, look, I, I'm old, I'm hungry, I'm about to die. And like, let's just ignore the fact that he lives for like another 40 years after this. But hey, he's, he's, he's hungry. And so food and favoritism, right? So he says, go hunting, make me dinner, and I will give you the blessing. So if it feels right, it is right. Here's the thing though, Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems, that appears, that feels right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. So just because something feels right does not mean that it is right. We gotta run from that faithless philosophy and live by what God says, whether we like it or not, whether we're comfortable with it or not. We should step out in faith and, and go with what God says. But this is where Isaac is at the beginning of this passage. So let's meet his wife, Rebecca. Here's her faithless philosophy. Rebecca would say, uh, the ends justify the means. Rebecca would say, the ends justify the means. Look back with me at Genesis 27, verses 5 through 17. Let's meet Rebecca. It says, now Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. And he said, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare for them, from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to him to be mocking him and, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and, and go and bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and she put them on Jacob, her younger son. The skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son, Jacob. So as Isaac was doing his thing and, and getting ready to, to bless his favorite son, Rebekah was listening outside. And, and as soon as Esau left to go hunting, uh, she sprang into action to get her way, which, yes, just so happens to be God's way because, yes, Jacob should be the one that's getting the blessing here. But the problem is the ends don't justify the means. She goes about getting God's way in her way instead of his way. And as one person's said it before, if you're wrong in the way you're right, you're wrong even if you're right. But Rebecca is determined to get a, a particular end regardless of the means that she has to use. Just look at her. As, as soon as she hears what's going on, she feels the urgency to, to force her desired outcome. She runs to Jacob and, and like a coach on the sideline, she like pulls out her whiteboard and starts drawing up the play. And she's like, look, here's what, here's what we're going to do. So just, just do what I say and go out to the field, grab a couple of goats. I'm going to cook them with your father's favorite recipe. And then, and then you're going to take them in there. And then, and then I, I, I mean, I mean, we, I mean, I mean, you, you're going to get the blessing, Jacob. And Jacob's like, mom, maybe you haven't noticed um, a little lacking in the body hair department. And Esau's like, not. So what if, what if dad realizes what's going on here and I end up getting cursed instead of being blessed like, like our plan is? And in verse 13, Rebecca says, then let your curse be on me, my son. 
Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. In other words, do what I say and let me worry about the consequences. Okay, so let's, let's audience participation. Let's, let's vote about this plan. Um, uh, good, good idea or bad idea? So a thumbs up, good idea? No, no, nobody? Nobody's on this board? Uh, bad idea, thumbs down. Okay, yeah, how about two thumbs down? Terrible idea here. And clearly Rebecca even knows that, that it's wrong before they even go through with it. Like she knows this is sin and she even brings her kid in on it, but the ends justify the means, right? Wrong. No. Good, even well-intentioned ends, even ends that you think are lining up with what God wants in a particular situation will never justify sinful means to get there. But here we are. Jacob gets the goats and while they're marinating, Rebecca uh, goes and grabs some of Esau's clothes and she puts some uh, goat skin on, on Jacob to make him seem hairy like Esau. And then as, as soon as the timer goes off on the oven, she sends him in to deceive his father. And that's when Jacob starts taking center stage in this story. So let's hear Jacob's faithless philosophy. Jacob would say, well, a little white lie never hurt anybody. That's what he'd say, a little white lie never hurt anybody. Look back at Genesis 27 and verses 18 through 29. Here's Jacob taking center stage. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God has granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the, the, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought them wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and of plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Well, Jacob's name literally means deceiver, and just throughout his life, like he got lots of use out of that uh, characteristic kind of like his father and grandfather before him, and probably in, in a lot of ways, like there was always a good reason for the lie, right? They could always justify it in their minds. And maybe in their minds, like we didn't really, we didn't really lie, we just kind of skirted the truth, maybe we, we worked around it. Because after all, a little white lie never hurt anybody, right? At the very least though, And at the same time, most importantly, every single lie is a sin against God, no matter how big and and catastrophic it may be or how small and insignificant it might seem. Like so much so that literally number nine out of the 10 commandments is, is, is thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. But in these few verses alone, Jacob tells his father straight to his face with no shame, no less than three lies. 
Line number one happens right, at the, right as he walks in the room. Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie. I have done what you told me. Lie. You, now, now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. And probably in the back of his mind, like, let's hurry this up here because Esau, he's coming back and let's, I don't want to get caught here. But clearly Isaac was suspicious because he's like, how'd you, I know you're good hunter and all, but how'd you get dinner ready so fast? And here comes line number two in verse 20, because the Lord, your God has granted me success. Now he's not only lying, but he's dragging God into it by essentially forging God's name to sign off on his sinful scheme. Like a kid would get, would forge their parents' name on a bad report card. And that on a sense shivers down our spines. Like, let's just be really clear here. God will not bless what is contrary to his word. Like, don't, don't blame things on God. Don't, don't throw his name around casually just to justify you getting your way in a particular situation. And certainly don't throw his name around casually to justify your sin. But Isaac's still suspicious here. He, he thinks he recognizes Jacob's voice, but when he calls him over, he feels like Esau. So just to be sure, he asks him one more time, are you really my son Esau? I am. Lie. They're almost there though. We're so close to pulling this off. Like mom always said, the ends justify the means, right? And then Isaac blessed him. He called him in real close and probably put his hand on him again. And, and again, he said, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And with that, in the middle of a massive lie, the blessing was given. Yes, to the right son. Remember, God is faithful to accomplish his purposes, even despite our failures, but not in the way it ever should have happened. And that brings us to Esau's response. Here's Esau's faithless philosophy. Esau uh, would say, uh, I, I don't just get mad, I get even. So he would say, look back with me at verse 30 through 45 in Genesis 27. It says, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently said, who was it then that hunted game and, and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to him, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers and I have, I have given him for servants and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, 
Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? We won't spend a lot of time here, but the deed's been done. Jacob got out of there fast after he did his part right before Esau showed up. And then Esau went in to get the blessing that was no longer available to be gotten and and, and should never have been his anyway. And as soon as Isaac knew he was there, he knew something had happened. And I have a feeling he knew exactly what had happened because as soon as he realizes that Esau, the real Esau was there, says he trembled very violently. Esau wept bitterly and begged for some shred of a leftover blessing, but, but Isaac knew the reality of what happened. He's honest with Esau. He, 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 he says, he has been blessed, yes, and he shall be blessed. He says, uh, he says, behold, I made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. Like what's done is done. Isaac does go on to give him somewhat of a blessing, but it's really just reiterating what had been said to Jacob. Esau, you're, you're going to serve your brother. And then in verse 41 says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. In other words, I don't just get mad. I get even. Like as soon as dad dies, I'm coming after you, Jacob. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my revenge. I'm going to kill him. Like, I'm going to get even on this. Words of those threats made it back to Rebekah, and Jacob literally will run for his life, and for generations, then Esau's descendants would be enemies of Jacob's descendants. But let's just stop here for a second and picture the scene. Feel the weightiness of the emotions. What should have been the celebration of God's blessing and promise being passed on to the next generation has just turned into a giant mess, a fractured family, threats of violence, a hurting home. Yes, God's purposes were accomplished, but they were accomplished while an entire family was living by faithless philosophies instead of stepping out in faith like they should have been. So here's what should have happened. God had clearly spoken to at least Rebecca, and I'm sure Jacob knew uh, about who was supposed to receive the blessing. And so instead of living by the faithful, faithless philosophies of it, of if it feels right, it is right. What, what, what Isaac should have done is he should have stepped out in faith and led his family and said, look, I, I, I know that Esau and I, like we got this outdoorsman thing going on. We just, we really click better than Jacob does, but, but, but God has clearly spoken. And that's not ours to question. So for whatever reason God has chosen this, we're going to honor what God has said. And instead of living by the faithless philosophy of the ends justify the means, even if Isaac wasn't on board with God's plan, instead of scheming to get her way, Rebecca should have prayed for her husband, gone to her husband, pleaded with her husband, and said, look, look, Isaac, you, 
you know this is wrong before God. And if you go through with this, like you're, you're on your own, but pleading with you, just please don't do this, and then left the results to God. And instead of living by the thinking of a little white lie, never hurt anybody, even if Rebecca had come to I, uh, Jacob with her scheme, Jacob should have respectfully said, Mom, I, that's wrong. Before God, I, I can't. I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And even though it hurt, instead of re- reacting with, I don't get mad, I get even, Esau should have said to God along with Job, though you slay me, yet I will hope in you. Because I can't see your whole plan right now, God, but, but I know that you have one. And even though I don't like my circumstances right now, I don't, I don't like the way things are lining up right now, I will trust you no matter what. I will give my life to you. But instead, brokenness, division, devastation, failure, messed up family, fractured, but God's not done yet. So here's the second lesson from the life of Isaac. Number two this morning, recognize God's still at work in your mess. Recognize God's still at work in your mess. One last time, look back with me at verse 46 through verse five of chapter 28. It says this, then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padandarim, to the house of, of Bethel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padandaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. You ever watch a toddler have a moment in the middle of a massive meltdown where they kind of just like clicks for them, like um, shouldn't be doing this right now. And things suddenly start becoming clear to them. Even as an adult, you ever have one of those moments where you're kind of melting down and take a step back and I messed up somewhere along the way. Well, I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but by the time we get to chapter 28, Isaac was, I think, finally seeing clearly whether it was the moment that Esau showed up and Isaac realized what had happened to the point where he trembled very violently or whether it was once the dust settled later that night and he looked around and saw the, 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 the carnage of his family's brokenness all around him like the aftermath of a Category 5 hurricane. Whenever it was, at some point, Isaac moved from at best accidentally stumbling into God being faithful to accomplish his purposes to recognize that God was still at work even in his mess. Why do I say that? I think chapter 28 is the first time we've actually seen Isaac thinking clearly this whole time. Before Jacob leaves, Isaac calls him over to give him some instructions and a blessing that, that are very much connected and very important. And first the, first the instructions, whether it was prompted by Rebecca's maybe somewhat overdramatic uh, statement at the end of chapter 27 or not, Isaac instructs Jacob as the heir of the blessing of God's promise to not marry one of the Canaanite women. That became a, a guiding principle throughout the Old Testament because of, because of religion, because they did not worship the same gods as, as, as Jacob would have. And so the instruction here, the implication is, Jacob, go, go find yourself a wife uh, that you can serve the Lord with. 
Like no more of this broken. Go, go set yourself right. Go find a, a wife that you can follow and worship and serve the Lord with. And then the blessing. This time in full clarity, Isaac blesses not Jacob as Esau, but Jacob as Jacob, just as he should have done all along. Good verses three and four again. Let me just read this blessing for us again because it's beautiful, because it's God being faithful to accomplish his purposes even despite Isaac's failures. And Isaac's now seeing it clearly. He says, may God Almighty bless you and make me fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. And that brings us back to Hebrews eleven twenty. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Say what you want about Isaac, but even despite his failures, even despite the fact that he went about it all in the wrong way, even despite the fact that he, he literally tried to bless the wrong son, if Isaac believed one thing by faith in his life, if he believed one thing, he believed that God would be faithful to do what he said he would do regarding the promise that had been given to his family. But as Hebrews eleven thirteen says again, Abraham, who is his father who had been first given the, given the promise, Abraham died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And then next, Isaac's going to do the same thing. He's going to die in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from, and greeted them from afar. And then Jacob would too, even though by, by Jacob's generation, he's finally getting to see more and more of the promise start to come to fruition. But these men had faith in something that they would never get to actually receive, but they believed that God would do what he said he would do. All of these failed men had faith that God would be faithful to accomplish his purposes, even despite their failures. Because as Hebrews, or because as 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So maybe you're sitting here with one big question that we haven't addressed this morning. Like how in the world does a guy like Isaac end up in Hebrews 11? Like, come on, Andrew. Like, we just read Genesis 27. Like, come on. It doesn't add up. There's a big gap between Genesis 27 and Hebrews 11, and the math's not adding up. How in the world does Isaac land himself a spot in the Hall of Fame? Trust me, I spent a lot of time wrestling with that question earlier in the week. There's only one answer. Only one word explains it. Only one word can explain the gap between Genesis 27 and Hebrews 11, and that word is Grace. It's grace, undeserved favor. It is only grace, God's riches at Christ's expense being applied to our accounts that can erase our failures and allow us to be viewed as faithful in the eyes of God. Only grace. It's the only explanation. And I have a feeling that if Isaac read what was said about him in Hebrews 11 and he got to look back at his life, he'd cry out with the hymn writer what he, what he said, oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. The feeling of Isaac looked at the gap between his real life and what is said about him in, in Isaac in, in Hebrews 11, he would say, oh, to grace, how great a debtor I am. 
If you're here this morning and you don't know about grace, let me just quickly tell you that, that like Isaac, you have sinned against God and deserve judgment. And like Isaac, you need the grace of God. And that grace is available to you because Jesus Christ died on the cross in your place and then rose from the dead so that if you will admit your need for grace and then repent or turn from your sins and place your faith in Jesus, he will save you, wipe you clean of your record of failures and sin and and credit his righteousness, his faithfulness to your account instead. That's grace. That's available to you this morning. But before we close the book on Isaac this morning, I think it would be important for us to find ourselves in relation to this story. It's incredibly easy to sit back and disconnect or distance ourselves from this passage and look at it kind of like as if we're, we're watching a movie for entertainment or we're watching a documentary for information. But the reality is that we are connected to this at the very least by how we live in reaction to it. And the risk is that we will resp- respond wrongly in one of two ways. I want us to carefully consider those wrong reactions and then we'll run back to grace. Here's wrong reaction number one. Wrong reaction number one for us this morning would be have the self-righteous reaction. Like, can you believe those people? <laughs> how, how messed up? Like, God was, how, how much could you go off track? Like, I would never do that. We're good at being self-righteous, aren't we? Especially from a distance. Romans 3, though, says that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. FYI, that no one includes you, includes me, includes Isaac. Like your sins and your failures might be different from Isaac's. They might be different from the person sitting next to you right now. They might be different from the person who lives next to you in your neighborhood. But you are no less in need of God's grace than any of those people. Grace is not just for the beginning of the Christian life. It's for all of the Christian life. So instead of reacting self-righteously, remember your own need for grace. Remember, you can never outgrow your need for grace. So here's wrong reaction number two would be to have the so what reaction. Like, so what I've sinned? So what I keep living by faithless philosophies? So what if my life's off track from what God expects? Isaac messed up big time. He still ended up in Hebrews 11. You, you said that, Andrew. You said there's grace. So Jesus paid it all anyway, right? So let me just, I'll just tell God to add it to my tab. Though we would never say that out loud. A lot of us continue to live that way because we don't take our sin seriously. We don't think that God actually cares about holiness. But listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter six. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. In some, in some translations, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, do not abuse grace. Grace not only saves you, it changes you. 
So if you're not being changed by grace, if you're not being made to look more like Jesus Christ, then, then maybe you don't understand the point of the gospel at all. Because when you, when you truly understand grace, instead of having the so what reaction to your sin, you'll say along with Spurgeon, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? So here's how we ought to step out in faith and live by grace in the Christian life. I'm not sure what this says about me and my sense of humor, but one of my favorite ways to unwind after a long day is to pay a visit to the YouTube channel, Fail Army. Um, if you don't know it by that name, if you've never seen it, um, chances are you, you still know exactly what I'm talking about, whether it was from America's Funniest Home Videos back in the day or just social media, but they always start the same way. Somebody has a brilliant idea it's going to go awesome. I'm going to pull off some stunt, and it's going to be amazing. Whether it's a skateboarder or a pole vaulter or a diver or just some kid on a bike, you can, you can feel the determination. You can feel that this is going to go fantastic. They have all the confidence in the world that they can pull off what they're about to do. But how do those videos always end? Failure. Pain. Brokenness. Skateboarder gets hurt. Pole vaulter lands on the ground, the diver does a belly flop, the kid breaks his bike, and we laugh at those videos. But the reality is that they're a very clear picture of who we are on a regular basis. Sometimes with the best of intentions and sometimes only half thought through, we are convinced that we can handle whatever God puts in front of us. Whether it's in marriage, in parenting, in work life, in church life, or our own discipleship, we can head into every single one of those aspects of life determined to do our best and to live in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to God. And that's great. We should be. That should be our aim. That should be our goal. But what happens? Fail. 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 Day after day after day, constantly, minute by minute, we're inconsiderate to our spouse harsh with our kids, grumble and complain at work. We shirk our responsibilities to the people that we're called to live in biblical community with. We fail in our own discipleship. We sin, we fall, we fail. And though they are far less publicized, our failures are not all that unlike Isaac's. We fall flat on our faces constantly. We belly flop through the Christian life and, and that would be a massive problem for us if the same God who had not called us to these things had not already provided his grace for us to catch us when we fall. But he has provided his grace. So I want you to be encouraged this morning, Christian friend. Have faith despite your failures. You cannot exhaust God's grace. Let's be clear, though you ought not try to, you can belly flop straight into God's grace and he will catch you every single time. And he will be faithful to accomplish his purposes even despite your failures. So would you pray with me as the worship team comes? Father, thank you for your grace. We are daily constrained to be debtors to your grace. We are failures, we are sinners, we are wretched, broken people who deserve nothing but your judgment and your condemnation. 
but you loved us so much that you sent your son for us to die in our place, to take the punishment for our sins. Let us never grow past our need for grace. Let us never move past our dependence on you for everything. Would you encourage us this morning that you are God, you will accomplish your purposes, you will catch us when we fail, you will hold us up when we fall, and would you use that encouragement to urge us, to push us on to a greater stepping out in faith, not because we might achieve something, not because we can nail something, but because you can. And because again, in your grace, you have chosen to use us as your servants, even though we are undeserving. So would you be glorified in the worship that we give now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.